This episode of Serverless Chats is sponsored by IBM Cloud, the most open and secure public cloud for business. This week, I chat with Michael Barron about serverless at IBM. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 85. Hi, everyone. I'm Jeremy Daly, and this is Serverless Chats. Today, I'm speaking with Michael Barrett. Hey, Michael, thanks for joining me. Hey, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. So you are a distinguished engineer, chief architect, serverless, IBM Cloud at IBM. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about your background and what you do at IBM? Sure. Thank you. So I've been working at IBM um, on very, in various technical roads over the last 15 to 20 years, have been in product development, product incubation, have been working in the field as a worldwide architect. And for the last 10 years or so, I've been working in the cloud division in itself, um, working on various topics, incubating it and so on. And since about six years now, I'm really focused on serverless as a topic as a whole. Um, so that, that's what I'm doing for most, most of my time, working with customers, working on product development, making architectural decisions, technology decisions, and so on. Awesome. All right. Well, so um, first of all, I want to thank IBM for sponsoring this episode. So that's, uh, that's great, continuing to support the community and uh, continuing to invest in serverless. Um, and when it comes to serverless at IBM, you are like the guy like you're you were there like right back in the beginning um i had uh roderick rabba on the show um a couple of weeks ago and uh we were talking about how it all got started but i i know you have a bunch of stories as well so what if we <laughs> we go all the way back and start you know that sort of six years ago um and talk about like how did how did it begin how did serverless at ibm sort of get kicked off uh it, it, there are some interesting stories there so um a long while ago now, um, I've been looking into the serverless market as it was evolving, what what was happening in the in the field, like what customers are doing. And I felt like we need to do something in the serverless space as well. And um, by purpose, I thought we shouldn't be starting this as a right off the bat product development effort, but rather since it was such a new space, um, do some exploratory stuff first and have it really open-ended in terms of what we're going to end up with from a technology perspective. So I, I was in Beijing um, for a business trip and um, I had a call with a VP for research at IBM for a cloud. And I, I, I still remember it was like 10 p.m. In, at night and we talked about like, we need to do something in that space. So we agreed on on that call, let's do something in that space. And he basically then brought in a team from the research side. Rob Rodrick was part of the team um, to um, kick off that that whole effort. Right. So I've, I've, I don't think I've ever heard a story that starts, you know, 10 p.m. Um, in Beijing. <laughs> ever heard a story that didn't end or didn't have an exciting ending to it. So, um, so all right. So you 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 brought in this team to kind of start working on it. And so, what was the like? What did you do first? Like, what was what was the the initial goal? I mean, you were surveying the market, doing the research, as you said. Um, so, sort of, how did you sort of take those first steps? So uh, we we put together this this team of really talented people in research, and we basically set up our goals like what what do we want to 
accomplish from a from a workload perspective which kind of workloads we want to support we want to um, allow composition of functions something we are talking about these days as well but it was like a new concept back then we wanted to um, be able to be very flexible in terms of which kind of workloads people can run should it only be functions or should it be more cost granular workloads as well so we went into different directions we looked at non-functionals like how quickly should it be possible to deploy a new function or update a function to have a very quick inner loop development cycle and and that drove lots of technology and design decisions and we've been running that with playbacks every week i believe um, where the team played back to a broader group of people like what they were doing their findings and so on and then we iterated our way towards into that and one of the big milestones that was at the end of this first of this first wave was open risk as an open source project right Right. So what were some of those early use cases? Because that was one of the things where when serverless sort of first started coming out, and again, OpenWhisk is, is fast, uh, you know, functions as a service, similar to Lambda or Google, uh, Google Cloud functions, things like that. Um, but what were those early use cases? Because I remember way back in the beginning, it was very, very limited. Yeah, yeah. So um, I think one of the first use cases was like, and, and that is a bread and butter use case these days as well still, it's those HTTP endpoints. Mm -hmm. um, that was a, a very broadly applicable, horizontal, in many industries, applicable uh, use case. Another one that still, I still remember the, uh, specific customers we were working with uh, in these days was um, data processing, like mm -hmm. objects or, or fo photos in particular um, that had to be processed um, in a certain way, like um, auto cropping, auto sharpening, um, object detection, uh, storing metadata. And I still remember we had um, one of our very first customers, like they went GA while we were still in beta. And um, so because like they felt good with what they had. And um, I still remember talking to the CEO one time and he said in the early days, like their their operations guy talked to him and, and asked like whether our billing engine was broken because the bill was so low and right. uh, and and they came in from a pass background so they moved from from a pass to a function as a service and and what they saw was like 10x performance increase in combination with 90 percent cost reduction and and that was just astonishing to them which they had never seen before right Oh, that's amazing. So, um, so we can't talk about um, functions as a service without sort of talking about the 800 pound gorilla in the room, which is uh, AWS Lambda. Um, but I know that, you know, and this is something I actually really appreciate about what's happening in the serverless movement right now, is that people are looking at it slightly differently. So while everyone's trying to come up with a definition, sort of how people are applying it and, and how they're looking at it, um, uh, there's a lot of diversity there, you know, whether it runs on Kubernetes or, or whether it runs on its own VMs or whatever it is, or, or the V8 engine, if there's something like Cloudflare workers. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of, um, I guess, uh, uh, difference of opinion, but in a good way. So I'm curious, looking at something like AWS Lambda, which I know talking to Roderick, that sort of triggered like, hey, we need to do something as well. Um, you know, just what's the different philosophy there, I guess? Yeah, so um, I've been talking to many, many customers over the last years, and um, many of them are using serverless, but many of them are still not using serverless yet. And um, one of the, one of the biggest inhibitors I heard frequently was like we would 
love to use serverless, but you are too constrained in terms of memory. You are too constrained in terms of CPU. You are too constrained in terms of execution duration. You are too constrained in terms of your programming model chasing and chasing out. Um, you are too constrained in terms of X, Y, C. Um, so while um, people love the the attributes of serverless, um, they do not always like the constraints that come with it. And the attributes right. are, I think, what is dominating these days the conversation in terms of I don't need to manage infrastructure. I only care about my code artifact. I never pay for idle. I um, I only pay for what I consume versus what I allocate. And and those are foundational attributes of serverless that in 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 my world I'm defined today what serverless is, and they can be applied to a much broader spectrum of workloads than just what you can handle with functions only. Right. Yeah. And it's sort of an interesting balance because for me, I really like some of the constraints of serverless. Like I like that it's event driven. You know what I mean? I like that, you know, they don't run for, you know, 10 hours or something like that, that you have some of that, uh, some of those constraints that almost force you to think differently about building your application. But on the other hand, I can see why, you know, uh, certain customers would say, if we wanted to move to this as a primary compute model that we would have to would have to have different ways that we could overcome some of these sort of artificial limitations. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it's, it's a performance thing, like um, if you can get more processors within the same pr process space, um, they can sh do um, they, they can do data sharing within that um, or some of the con one of the constraints that has been imposed um, a lot in the early days of serverless was like there was no node-to-node -node communication possible. Right. So um, um, it was very hard to build up anything that had like latency-sensitive communication required between the nodes of that distributed deployment. So um, I, I, I think, I think it, there is lots of goodness in terms of trying to stick as closely as possible to the constraints that were kind of established as part of the almost manifesto of serverless um, as it was established, but still have the freedom to go beyond that okay. if you want to do that. Right. Yeah. And I think that's interesting to say, like, you know, if you need a hundred cores <laughs> when it spins up on a, you know, on a, a, a function for two seconds or something like that, that that would be, um, that'd be interesting to have. So, so let's talk about that. So let's talk about some of these other applications that, that IBM, you know, is looking at trying to expand serverless into, like, what are some of these other application types? Yeah. So what we are seeing a lot these days is, like I mentioned before, data processing, but not only data processing in in a, in a necessarily embarrassingly parallel way, but also data processing that um, requires some tight, more tight coupling between the processing entities. Um, if you um, just want to do a group by or a join or something that that just requires um, more data sharing between those components, that's something we are seeing. And then all sorts of um, workloads, like I said, that, that that go up in the high double digits of gigabytes of, of memory or that, that require um, longer execution times. Um, lots of stuff in the AI and ML space, right. um, both both in, the, in terms of serving, but also in terms of um, training. Um, so um, the, I think everything around data in the broadest possible sense be it data pre-processing, be it data analytics, or be it AIML, 
um, is, is something that we are seeing a big uptake on. Right. Now, what, what about some of the customers that are using this now? So like, what are you seeing them, them doing with sort of the expanded capabilities that IBM has? Um, I, I see, um, there are some low hanging fruits for people to get into the serverless space. And, and what I think is important as well is to, um, like from a customer value proposition, when I talk a lot to large enterprise customers, from a customer value proposition, there is value in running like a dozen HTTP endpoints on a serverless platform, but that only consumes up so much capacity, right? An right. HTTP endpoint is usually not overly huge in terms of its its resource footprint. But when you think about um, like data processing or data analytics workloads, they can be really big. And um, so what, what I see customers are starting to do is look at, looking at those workloads, also batch, for example, is, is a typical case, like, um, and, and not batch in the necessarily traditional sense where you have like a batch run start at midnight and, and it only processes then, but maybe continuous batch in the mm -hmm. sense of I have, like, since I'm serverless, it doesn't matter whether I spin it up all at midnight or always on demand at a point in time when I need it. And um, so from that perspective, um, customers are seeing value in taking forward those kinds of workloads to say, I can get it more real time, maybe all, almost close to interactive for certain use cases where um, in the past I had to wait for a few hours to get something done. Now I can, um, I can sit in front of the screen and wait for it because I'm getting a thousand cores instantaneously. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's one of the things that I really like um, about, you know, like an ETL task with serverless would be this idea of running things in parallel as well. So it, there's some cases where you can't just split a job up into parallel and hope it all finishes in 15 minutes with, you know, I mean, now you can get 10 gigs um, yeah. with, with Lambda. But um, I, I mean, I certainly see there being a huge benefit to saying like, well, maybe a job has to run for 30 minutes. Maybe it needs, you know, X number of cores or whatever it is um, and being able to, to sort of parallelize that out. So is that something though that you're seeing where, you know, the mind, the sort of the mindset is, all right, we can use these serverless compute, um, you know, and scale them up really, really large and be able to do that. But are you still seeing people saying, well, if we split them into, if we, if we parallelize them, we can do this much faster. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like the rethinking of certain ways of doing data processing is, is a very interesting one to give you one example. And it's, it's quite popular specifically in these days. Um, there is one customer, a uh, European molecular biology laboratory, quite a quite a mouthful of, of um, what the what the name is, but it's the, the interesting part is um, they are doing they are doing life sciences research basically. Um, they are dealing with certain um, da data that's taken out of the body, um, right. how cells work, how the internals work, and and they do they have large data sets and um, they want to be able to process them. And the, the folks working at EMBL, um, they are not, not all of them are, super, are computer scientists. Many of them have, a, have a expertise in a different domain, but they use the computer science as a means to an end to do their job. And um, so what, what they started doing is to, they started to rethink how they analyze these metabolomics, it is called those metabolomics um, data sets, um, how do, 
how to break them down and process them in parallel with cloud functions on the IBM side instead of traditional ways. And that gives them both the benefit of it's much cheaper, it's, it's way more cost effective. And they did a very detailed analysis about that. Um, and at the same time, the folks working there get more productive because they get their results um, faster than they did before. Yeah, that, that's amazing. And I love this idea of, again, just the, the parallelization of, of jobs that would normally take, I mean, thinking like Hadoop jobs or things like that, that would just take hours and hours to run. And then you'd wait and then say, oh, I think I, I, I didn't write the query correctly or something like that. And then you end <laughs> up with, with junk data and you have to do it again. Um, so no, that's just, that's amazing. So, all right. So there's, there's a whole bunch of customer examples I know that you have, and and we can we can talk about some more of those. But I'd love to start talking about um, IBM Cloud Code Engine and what that is, and how that helps people uh, how that helps people go serverless. Sure. So um, when we made this observation that I described in terms of uh, customers wanting to have the serverless value propositions, but um, have the ability to go beyond the constraints they were imposed on. We made it uh, a few years ago. Um, we started this effort, which is now in the market as, as IBM Cloud Code Engine. And it's basically our implementation of this um, mindset of, I call, I call it serverless 2.0, um, which is um, preserving the value propositions, but giving people the freedom of high amounts of CPU, memory, disk, long duration times, and so on. And we are focusing on initially, um, again, HTTP serving workloads, of course. We are focusing on um, batch um, workloads. And we offer people the ability to run their container, whatever it is, on our platform. So um, with that, it becomes a general purpose capability as well. And um, they don't have to make trade-offs like, um, in, in some other places, you have to make a trade-off whether you want to have scale to zero and very fast scaling, or you want to have large amounts of capacity. Um, what we are trying to do with Code Engine is to not force people to make trade-offs, but to say, I can have all of those value propositions in combination, in a combination I like, versus having to, to, to choose between one or two or three different offerings. Right. Yeah, and so now with with Code Engine, you can basically you can write code like you normally would with a serverless function if you wanted to, right? You could just upload a snippet of code. Um, but you mentioned you could also load a container. So, um, what does that give you? Do you get event driven capabilities when you load your own container? Can you schedule them? Like, what are what are your options there? Yeah. So, um, we we are making a distinction in terms of. What is the artifact you're providing to articulate your business logic versus what can you do with it? Mm -hmm. And um, we give people the ability to, like I said, to provide their container, package whatever they want to into it and, and have that as the artifact that articulates the business logic. It can be a function. It can be like an HTTP serving app, like a, a Node Express app, um, or it can be a batch job as well. But irregardless of what they are choosing as the input artifact, um, in the backend, it's all it's all treated in the same way, and um, all the capabilities in terms of scheduled execution, event-driven execution, um, scale to zero, node-to-node um, -node communication, all of those capabilities are available irregardless of what the input artifact is. Right, and I don't have to set up like a Kubernetes cluster or anything like that, right? Like I just go and it's there for me. 
Yeah, I mean, the, like the Kubernetes and serverless world, they, they've been in uh, interesting discussions over the last years, and, and there are very opinionated uh, people on both sides. Um, the way we are approaching it is to say, like, what do people, is there, what do people want out there want to have? Like, what, what is, what, is there a market for people who want to have a, something like a Kubernetes cluster, but not the cost and the pain of operating it. Um, and so what they can do as well is they can use code engine as if it was a kube cluster, but without having to own, own the kube cluster. Mm -hmm. Like they get the kube API, they can deploy something on there, they can run something on there, they can use kube CTL, get parts and see their parts and so on. They can do all of that, but they don't have to. So we give them an abstraction where they never have to get in touch with any of that if they choose to run batch jobs or web apps or functions. But if they want to, if they have the expertise, if they need it for problem determination purposes or whatever else, they can also drop down into that as well. Which is crazy. So, um, all right. So then in terms of like um, users going in and setting this up, so like from a pricing standpoint, this is all sort of on demand. Is, is it, it, it's, it gives you those serverless qualities that, that, uh, that you were talking about? Yeah, it's it's all it's all on demand. It's um, a granular pricing, like um, on a hundred millisecond granularity basis. The pricing is similar to all the other players in, in the market as well. Um, so um, people can again run batch jobs, HTTP applications, functions, containers, but the the, the pricing model is, is is the same for all of them. Right. So then in terms of some of the use cases, you mentioned, you know, HTTP and, and batch jobs and some of that stuff. So what are people using it for now? Are they taking advantage of all those capabilities? Are you seeing them sort of breaking those barriers of what you might be, you know, constrained with, um, with typical fast uh, offerings? Yeah, yeah. Like the EMBL case, for example, I mentioned before, is, is one of those use cases. Then we are working with some large enterprises who are, um, who have um, workloads for for forecasting, revenue forecasting, and things like that, which they had run so far in a traditional way, which they are now rethinking in terms of how to run it um, on a on a serverless platform. And containers, that's a very horizontally applicable, very general purpose kind of thing. So people are using that often as as the kind of catch all for everything they cannot get addressed elsewhere, and. And then HTTP endpoints are really often used as well as, as, an, as a kind of entry level thing, because also that is very horizontal. And then people are starting to specialize in terms of they say, I have this, like I said, this revenue forecasting application, that, um, I use the batch capability, or I have this um, embarrassingly parallel um, executable that I wanna have executed a hundred times in parallel. For that batch is also really super useful because you just specify your command, like on the Linux command line, what you want to have executed, you specify as a parameter, do you want to have it executed a hundred times or a thousand times? And and then you just fire it off and it does all the work for you. So um, it's it's that broad spectrum of, of capabilities they're using. Right, and you're also, um, you know, depending on, I guess, which uh, artifact you use. So if you just upload a, a function, you're patching the operating system and you're doing all those upgrades and all the security things. 
Um, what about if you're if you're using a container? Is that something you you know as a deployment um, uh, method? Do you have to sort of patch some of those things if you're containing runtime in there, or how does that work? Yeah, excellent question, and that is that is often missed as a as a subtle discussion point. Um, like if somebody wants to provide a container, that person makes a conscious choice of wanting to have control over what is being deployed. So he can do anything within the container, but with that also comes the obligation of them having to patch it if there is something to be patched. If somebody says, I don't want to have to patch my node runtime whenever there is a new CVE coming out, um, I just want to upload my app artifact. They upload the app artifact. And in that case, we know what the artifact is they want to take care of versus what we have to take care of. Right. And when a new CV comes out for a node runtime, we would be patching the runtime automatically under the cover for, for that customer. Awesome. All right, so what about integration? So um, IBM Cloud is has got a lot of different offerings. Um, you know, there's a lot of different things that it that it uh, it can do. Um, but from a serverless perspective, what does the code engine does that have like native integrations to some of the other services in IBM Cloud? Yeah. So um, we have integrations in terms of um, event sources, um, as you would expect the usual ones like right. like object storage, um, Kafka for data streaming and things like that. Um, but we also have specific optimizations built into it, like setting up a, a, a really well high-end performing communication between a compute node or a set of compute nodes and object storage can be painful. Um, like you need to know which signature you're using. Are you using uh, v4 or v2 depending on which which how many threads should you should be using how should the operating system be configured so for for those parts we have basically tested and optimized optimizations built into it so if somebody wants to interact heavily with object storage which is a super popular case um they they can do that as well um what we also have is like for example some of the um um ai capabilities like um, what's an assistant where you can build your chatbots and your interactions and you, sometimes you need custom logic. Um, you can articulate the custom logic in cloud functions. Um, so um, th there are integrations in both sides, both offerings calling us, but also us being able to call others. Right. Now with, so with um, the containers, you can probably use whatever runtime you want, right? If you wanted to run node or something else, you could do that. But if if yeah. you're using one of the predefined runtimes, what are what are some of the runtimes that are supported if I just want to upload code? Because I just want to upload code. Yeah, so um so it's it's the usual suspects. It's it's like Node, it's Java, it's Python, Python being really popular, uh, increasing increasing in popularity. Um, and it's it's like all the other runtimes as, as well in various versions like Java, for example. Um, and um, yeah. Awesome. All right. So you, you're clearly breaking some of the uh, maybe, I don't know if I'd call them the cardinal rules of serverless, but you're, you're sort of like pushing past what people are like, well, these constraints were supposed to be here. Um, and so you're pushing past that, which I think is amazing. Um, and I, and I've said for quite some time that Kubernetes is an, is an amazing, it's a, an amazing technology. All the things that run with it are great. 
but it's just too complex for most people to manage. And you're not going to get a small startup with three or four people, um, you know, installing Kubernetes clusters and trying to do that. And, and so I always looked at Kubernetes as just like the open source that will eventually be productized by all the major clouds um, so that you don't have to worry about it. Um, and so, uh, you know, and this, I think Cloud Code Engine is sort of doing that here. Um, but what's what's the future, right? Like where, like how far are you going to push this? Because what serverless looks like in five years is anybody's guess. Um, you know, with longer runtimes, more memory, less constraints. We, we're talking about state now um, and how much state can be stored. Um, you know, and whether or not you can do, uh, you know, again, node-to-node communication is something that's still relatively new. So, what, where are we going with this? Like, what's IBM's view, and maybe you, at you as being so, you know, sort of intimately involved here? Like, what's your view like where is this going in the future uh yeah that, that, that's one of my most most um interesting topics uh, i'm working on these days as well um so from my perspective like we talk about serverless and um if i had to project out like five years from now um we would probably be talking not about serverless but i just have one server and that server um has the capacity I need, and it has in terms of CPU, memory, and so on. But um, I think so far we've been treating the cloud as a place to deploy web service, app service, and database service, if you want to um, articulate it in very broad broad terms, right? right. We've, we've been looking at the cloud as a collection of, of virtual machines and of, of different server technologies. We've not been looking at the cloud as like, a computer in itself, like what if I treat the cloud as a platform, as, as, a, as a single computer, um, which feels like a simple computer from a CLI perspective, from a, from a um, programming perspective. Um, and um, I think that's where, where serverless will be going. We, we, we sometimes use this term serverless supercomputer, which right. basically means is um, I can define a computer of any size um, that comes within seconds and goes within seconds and it's it's fit for purpose it's customized to exactly the job i want to have handled now and um if i need now for 15 seconds a thousand cores to do something i can get that but right. it, it feels it feels like a computer that i get for 15 seconds that has a thousand cores and not like a collection of containers or vms or something like that so i think from a user perspective mentality point of view i think that's where we uh, will be seeing lots of um lots of trend towards in combination with programming frameworks that address this on a higher level like um in the python space there is interesting stuff happening um and in other places as well but like i i'm i'm very much behind this thought of, of a serverless supercomputer um which which lets us treat the cloud as a, as a cloud computer and not as as a collection of stuff right yeah no i i love that idea because I, I think about serverless sort of the first iteration of it which was upload a little snippet of code and it just runs right and i mean you know then it got to be more confusing or more not confusing but more complex where you had to start saying okay well i want this event source i want that event source and then oh there's some failure modes in here and then oh wait now i need to you know i need to run things in parallel and then maybe i need to run um i need to run multiple jobs simultaneously or i need to compose functions which has always been um you know a uh, 
uh, a, a, I guess, a debate within the serverless community, like how do you compose functions? I know it's always should functions be calling functions and things like that. And of course, there's been a lot of technology advancements that have, have made that easier. But what we're doing is we're just stitching together a lot of primitives, right? Like we're saying yeah. this can do this, this can do that. But like, I just want, you know, to run a snippet of code that can buffer events coming into it. But I have to set up a queue and I have to set up the function. I have to do some of these other things. I have to worry about scaling. I have to worry about maybe, you know, yeah. downstream throttling so that I don't overwhelm a downstream system. I mean, there's just so much to think about now when you're building distributed applications. So. Let's go back to the supercomputer for a second, though. So, what's the what's the vision? Like, what, what? How do you envision that working? Like, as a developer, I just want to use, like you said, a thousand cores. What's that experience look like to you? So, the way I'm thinking about this is like we all know, and most of us love the Linux command line. Um, right. right. It's it's a command line. It, it has often been used as the poster child for good practice of how to develop capabilities, small chunks of functionality, you can stitch them together. So today you have a CP command um, where you copy data from one machine to the other machine or from one place on the, on the disk to a different place on the disk. How would that CP command look like in a cloud? Um, that CP command would look like in a cloud in a way where you enter CP, you copy data from A to B, but under the cover, maybe a thousand cores get spun up or mm -hmm. 150 gigabit interfaces get spun up instantaneously. And they all transfer data from one object storage to another or from one, one device to another. Um, they do the chunking of the data um, behind the scenes. So it's, it's still a, just a CP command that you enter on, on the command line where you have like within just for a few seconds, maybe if it's only needed, like enormous amounts of network bandwidth available because it's handling all of that behind the scenes. You have enormous amounts of compute available if you do not only have to copy the data, but you want to have an FFmpeg. Like there could be a superpower FFmpeg version. There could be a superpower of pick your favorite executable or Linux command executable. And then if you do it that intelligently, you can also pipe them together. And that is just what I'm talking about. It's, it's just the, the command line part of it. Um, the same, the same thought process can be applied to writing Python applications or writing Java applications or running batch jobs or executing your favorite application. Um, you can rethink all of them in a way of what if I want to make this as usable as something's running just on my laptop, but with superpowers behind the scenes. Yeah, no, I, that, again, I, I, I love that idea. I mean, one of the things I, I love about the supercomputer idea is just the cost of what that would be. I mean, you can kind of do it now. And you mentioned that example, um, you know, with the, uh, with the research, um, you know, that you can just sort of spin up all this stuff very quickly, do some big job and then, and then, uh, and then, uh, you know, spin it all down and then not pay for it. Cause I, I do think that would be really interesting just in terms of what you could, what you could find out, what could somebody do from their garage um, if they had an idea and they wanted to run some sort of model and, and figure something out rather than spending, you know, millions of dollars, you know, on virtual machines and, uh, and, and paying for those or even even running serverless functions and having to figure out all that stuff just gets really confusing. So, um, yeah. so what, what are, so I, I know there's sort of a, we're not quite at the supercomputer yet. Um, although I do think some people are starting to use that 
um, or at least take advantage of that. So, uh, do you have other customers that are that are doing interesting things by you know just doing this massive parallelization? Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, there is one customer I, I I can't use the name, but um, it's it's a it's a large enterprise that um, does um, um, revenue projection. So, mm-hmm. so they, they always forecast for the next 30 days, um, what is the revenue? And um, they've been running it so far, I think once a day or so, um, because that's, that's, they couldn't execute it faster. So, so they needed that one day to the execute day. it. And then they <laughs> had a, a weekly run. And I think, um, so, so, so they, they moved this over to, over to serverless and, and it's now almost operating at, at interactive speed. And I think that is a big part of serverless. What, what serverless is, is getting us, us now is in general, like I think the next big wave is making basically everything that, had, that, that was not interactive so far because of those resource constraints interactive. Like give, give people the ability to do large things but not run them overnight, but do them right here, right now. And that that unleashes another degree of productivity because if you if you can turn around things, we all know that from our daily development, if your inner loop development is super fast and you do a command S and refresh and and you 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 run your code again and again, um that that unleashes enormous productivity. And we if we can apply that to other domains as well like data analytics, for example, I don't have to worry anymore about um, subsetting my data to a small chunk of data that I can test something on, and then I run it on the big data, but I, I can always run it on big data because um, um, then I can be sure that I didn't choose the subset of data that's not representative for the bigger amount of data I want right. to execute on. Right. Yeah. And I can see, you know, again, I think people are already doing this with like CICD just to build, you know, just to build and deploy um, projects faster. They're like using serverless to deploy serverless. It's uh, it's it's pretty fascinating. Um, all right. So one more thing I want to talk to you about um, before I let you go. Uh, and so cloud code, uh, sorry, cloud code engine, um, you know, gives you all these capabilities. You can do all this stuff. How does that compare to just cloud functions or are they are they the same thing? Yeah, it's a good question. So cloud functions is really, from a technology perspective, the most competitive one um, in terms of um, cold start times, super rapid scaling from zero to a thousand in the shortest possible amount of time. There we have lots of optimization built in. Um, lots of optimization in terms of pre-warming machines, um, keeping them around for a longer period of time, caching them, um, and so on and so on. And um, so Code Engine implements that capability and addresses that segment of the market um, with um, uh, Cloud Functions. And with Code Engine, we address this bigger space of the market where you have large capacities and and all, all those constraints unleashed. Um, we want to bring them together um, so people can use them in combination. Um, so it's not one versus the other, but rather one complementing the other. Right. Okay. So if I was if I was starting out um, and I was just starting to build on IBM, would I would I go with Code Engine or would I go with with Cloud Functions? If I if I if I wasn't worried too much about the constraints to start, let's say, 
what would, would, would yeah. is, is cloud is cloud our cloud functions like an easier uh, just easier to work with? I mean, I'm sure it's all easy to work with, but um, like, what would you suggest for for a, a beginner moving over there? Um, for a beginner moving over there, I would probably start with Code Engine for the simple reason that it's applicable to a broader spectrum of applications. Gotcha. Um, so th there is a, a, a very wide spectrum of applications that they can surf with this. Um, if they have um, requirements that um, make cloud functions really well suited in terms of they have high dependencies against low code start times and things like that, then I would go for um, the cloud functions part. But I, I would suggest as the entry point because it's, it's much broader in terms of um, addressable uh, workloads, um, I would suggest Code Engine. Awesome. All right. Actually, I have another question for you because this I'm just. <laughs> uh, I know we talked about a lot of. I know we talked about a lot of customer examples, but I love. I love hearing customer examples. I love hearing use cases. I love to know what people are doing with serverless because it always like I always hear new ones and it just like it, it opens my mind. So what's your uh, you, you mentioned a couple of them. Uh, you know, you, you did you talked a little bit about the, uh, you know, the ETL ones and, and, and obviously the big data ones. But what's like your favorite? What's your favorite use case or customer example um, of people using serverless and IBM? Oh, my, my favorite one. Um, there are so many. Um, I think I think the the most recent one and most favorite one because it 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 fits into this day and age so well is what um, the European Molecular Biology Laboratory is doing because they they are doing research um, they are doing medical research they are looking for new medicine how how they can how they can cure certain diseases in, in a better way. And uh, I think it just hits the world we are living in today so well. And um, we can help with technology to accelerate, accelerate what they're doing. So that, that's why I, I think today I, I would be picking them because they, they, they fit so nicely into the world we're living in. Yeah. No, that's amazing. No, I, and I and I've heard so many stories of people using various serverless uh, products and databases and uh, and and other things to to do research on COVID nineteen and and all these other things is just solving these problems, which um, which I just don't think would be anywhere near as easy or as quick without this technology. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Um, all right. So listen, Michael, thank you so much for joining me and, and for the work that you're doing again, continuing to move the ball forward on serverless, um, is not an easy task. So, uh, I really appreciate that, uh, that you're on the front lines of that and, uh, and moving that forward and thinking about it differently, right? That if we, if everybody thinks about it the same way, we're going to just probably repeat the same patterns that we've done in the past. So thinking about it differently is uh, is amazing. So I appreciate that. I know others appreciate that. Um, so if people want to get in touch with you um, and maybe ask you some questions or they want to find out more about uh, Code Engine and Cloud Functions, how do they do that? So they can get in touch with, in touch with me via Twitter. Um, they can, uh, I think you, you have the, the Twitter handle um, yes, Michael underscore B E H, and I'll put that in the show notes, so you'll have yeah, it. Excellent. And um, so, um, if they if they want to use Code Engine, they go to cloud.ibm.com. 
um, slash code engine and yeah, they can try it out. It's, it's in beta. Um, watch this space. It, it will be evolving quickly. Um, so um, looking forward to any kind of feedback people are having. And reach out to me on any of those topics we talked about. Like I'm interested in what people out there are thinking and we can maybe keep the dialogue going also asynchronously. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, getting input from people like, you know, it's it. that's a uh, feedback is going to be super important as this whole thing grows. So, all right. So Twitter, um, I'll put your LinkedIn in the uh, show notes as well. Um, so I have ibm.biz slash code engine or cloud.ibm.com slash functions for cloud functions. Um, we'll get that in the show notes. Michael, thanks again. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. And that's this week's serverless chat. I want to give a huge thank you to Michael Barrett for being my guest this week and to our sponsor, IBM Cloud. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash 85. For more serverless chats, subscribe, sign up to be an insider, check us out on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can connect with me on Twitter, at Jeremy underscore daily. And if you want to keep up to date on everything serverless, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining me, and I look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.